You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. If you're empowered with your money, chances are you're saving and investing and planning for your future. But are you budgeting the way you should be? Learn more at planefe.com slash hermoney and schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. So I know that if you listen to our show, you also probably follow the financial news headlines pretty closely. And this year, there has been nothing but mixed signals coming from our economy. According to the mid-year report from iShares, the global leader in ETFs, the first half of 2023 has been characterized by opposing narratives. And For the record, I could not agree more. The iShares mid-year report highlighted the tightening in the credit market that we saw after the bank failures in March. And even though our labor market still remains robust with unemployment at 3.5%, we also know that household savings rates have fallen and credit card debt just hit an all-time new high of a trillion dollars. Yet, despite all these mixed signals, the financial markets, they've had a pretty great 2023 so far. According to data, again from iShares, the U.S. equity market, which is represented by the S&P 500 index, is up 15% since the beginning of this year, driven by a breakthrough in technological innovations and better-than-expected economic data. Amid all of these complexities, we have heard the oft-repeated threats that a recession is coming. So naturally, we know you have questions about your portfolio. Today, we have answers, and we're going to tackle your questions with the help of Gargi Chaudhry, head of iShares Investment Strategy for the Americas. Based in New York, Gargi and her team focus primarily on delivering global macro thought leadership and investment insights, like some of the data that you just heard from the iShares Mid-Year Report. Gargi has more than two decades of experience in the financial services industry. She has built her career around portfolio management in the fixed income markets, trading, and macro strategy. She's also an avid runner, hiker, and a triathlete, and has completed multiple marathons, ultra marathons, half Ironmans, and the New York Ironman. Gargi, wow, right there. I have one marathon under my belt, one, and I don't know if I'm doing another one. How did you get yourself psyched up for these multiple races? 
First of all, Jean, it's so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I have uh, followed you from afar. So this is really such a pleasure to get a chance to speak to you. As it pertains to the running, I must say that, you know, when I first moved to the city almost 22 years ago, when I first moved to New York, I happened to watch the New York City Marathon. And I cannot imagine that anyone that watches the New York City Marathon is not inspired to run a marathon. I certainly was. This was 2001. It was a very emotional time for the city, as you'll recall. And I ran my first marathon in 2004 because the New York City Marathon inspired me and then I kept going. Wow, it is so impressive. I trained for New York in 2012, the year that Superstorm Sandy actually canceled the race. And I ended up running Philadelphia instead because they took all the runners who wanted to run and I was already trained. I had already done a 20. So I was like, I am doing You have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it. Well, you have to run the New York City Marathon. You have to. You were meant to and it didn't happen. So now I think you have at least one more marathon in your list of things to do. So it's the best thing in the world. Every part of the race is unforgettable. Well, you are inspiring me, and we have inspiring questions from our listeners. But before we dive into our mailbag, a very quick word from our sponsors. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You're saving, you're investing, and you're ready to embrace a bright financial future. But when was the last time you took a look at your budget? It may be time for you to prioritize different savings strategies and what they mean for your overall financial future because knowing exactly how your budget is allocated can make all the difference when it comes to your financial health and wellness. Learn more at planefe.com slash hermoney and schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back for our mailbag. So. Gargi, what are you seeing and what are you hearing from clients right now? Many of our Her Money listeners we know have been struggling with the mixed economic data. What are the iShares clients most worried about right now? Sure. So I'll answer that question with three main themes that I have been hearing from clients over the last, you know, three to six months. The first one is certainly the impact of rising interest rates. You know, clients are asking us, what does that mean for the broader economy? And then closer to home, what does rising mortgage rates mean for their homes? What does that mean for rental prices? You know, we just had a new analyst class start across Wall Street and across many other professions. And people are asking, you know, when can we expect to see some reprieve in rental prices? In addition to that, you know, the impact of higher rates is also often felt on consumers. So people are wondering what this means. I know you talked about savings rates earlier, but what does that mean for savings? Are people going to have to draw down their savings because prices that you pay, the interest rate that you pay for your mortgage, your auto loans, and soon your student loans are all going to be pretty meaningful. So that's number one. A lot of concerns around rising interest rates. 
The second one I would say, and you did touch upon this as well, but it's just around this recession, this view around the certain signals in the market, such as the yield curve, which for those listeners that may not be as familiar with it, we do look at the yield on the 10-year part of the U.S. Treasury market and the very front end, let's say the two-year part. And that tells you what it costs to borrow money for a longer period of time. And when that curve is inverted, people get scared that that might portend a recession. But at the same time, if you look at the GDP figures, which of course are the official figures of what growth for the U.S. economy is looking like, those are nowhere near recessionary trends. If you look at the labor market, the unemployment rate is at 50-year lows or close to 50-year lows. So again, not something that is portending a recession. So that's a question that is on top of every type of investor's mind, whether you are investing for the first time, you're just out of college, or whether you're a seasoned institutional investor, you're asking those questions. And then the last thing that I hear quite a bit around is actually the lack of breadth in the equity market. So the stock market, to your point, has gone up meaningfully. It's up 15%. It's down from the highs we saw this year, but still that's not a number that many of us would have guessed. But one of the things that is pretty interesting about this year's move is that it has come from a very small list of companies. So about seven big companies have driven a large percentage of that 15% move. So a lot of clients are concerned about what that means. Can this continue? Can this not? And what does that mean if you have a narrow breadth in the equity markets? And what do you actually think it means about where the markets are headed for the rest of this year and heading into 2024? Sure. So I think for the rest of the year, especially with how interest rates have risen so meaningfully. So if I look at where we're sitting on something like the 10-year treasury right now, those interest rates have risen about 50 basis points in a course of just about a month. And when interest rates for the economy rise, you know, that that has many impacts. But one of the impacts is how stocks are valued, because stocks are valued based off a discount rate. And that's related to the interest rates that are prevailing in the economy. And if interest rates continue to move higher, if, you know, if they don't stabilize here, that does worry me a little bit about how equity markets can continue this run-up. So when you ask me what this means for the remainder of 2023, I think a little bit more range-bound behavior. I don't think we're doomed for a huge 15% down market or a new bear market or anything scary like that. But I would caution investors to be a little bit more thoughtful when you're thinking about the next four months of this year and not expect the annualized return that the first six or seven months of the year would indicate for the remainder of this year. So more cautious. And then, of course, as it comes to 2024, I hope, and this is the view of my team, Aisha's investment strategy, our hope is that the Fed will have been done with their rate rising cycle. So their last rate hike, we think, already took place. And even if that's not the case, even if we're wrong and, you know, if inflation's a little bit more persistent and they have to rise rates one more time, it's still not going to bleed into 2024. So I think that big shock in the economy, the Fed not raising rates by 500 basis points, and in fact, if anything, cutting rates by the second half of 2024, We think that's actually going to have a pretty meaningful impact on stock markets and bond markets. So investors should, number one, continue to remain invested, not sort of get too 
pulled by one direction or the other based on headlines. And number two, think about stocks and bonds, not just stocks. Obviously, bonds, not always as sexy, not as top of mind. (laughs) But when you're earning 5% yields, think about stocks and bonds in your portfolio for 2024. Fantastic. All right. Let's dig into some of the questions that our listeners sent this way. First one comes from Teresa. And she says, hi, her money team. All year, I have been paying attention to the back and forth of will we have a recession or won't we? And I finally found it so stressful that I stopped listening. But here's something I noticed. A lot of financial publications talk about what to do with your money in the event of a recession. And they talk about how you might want to move your money somewhere safer. But at the same time, I've also read that investors who are playing the long game, who are investing for retirement that may be 20 or 30 years away, they need to do absolutely nothing with their money other than set it and forget it. So am I missing something? Do I need to be moving my money based on what the economy does or just leaving it alone? And I'm asking this question as somebody who likes to be as lazy and (laughs) stress-free with their money as humanly possible. Thank you for your show, which is always a nice needed chill pill for me. Well, thanks for the question, Teresa. I think it's a really good one. And I think what she's really asking is, should she be trying to time these economic cycles or not? So thank you, Teresa. That's a great question. And I'm going to compare uh, running to investing, which I tend to do, which is also why I like to run so much, because it teaches me a lot about investing. And similar to you know, how on a race day, you can never control the outcome. It can be a really hot day and you have a horrible race. Similarly, when you're investing in the markets, you cannot control the volatility. But what you can do is be able to control how you react to the volatility. So depending on what your investment horizon is, and I don't know what that is in your particular case, but let's say that you expect to not need the money for another 20, 30, 40 years, and you're that far away from when you finally need the money, remaining invested, our research has shown, has played out in the long run. If you just miss out on any given day, if you just miss out on five or six days of performance that can have a meaningfully different outcome than if you remained invested. And no one can ever pick the five, six best days of the market, right? So remain invested. That's number one, especially if you're thinking about the long term. But there is something to be said about tweaking your portfolios. So for example, if you do have some evidence that there is going to be for sure a recession over the next three to six months, sure, you can tweak your portfolio to make it a little bit more resilient. Some of the ways you can do that is perhaps moving to certain parts of the equity market that have historically done better during recessionary times. Now, of course, historically, what has worked may not always work, but at least understanding what those might be. So looking at safer or higher quality parts of the equity market. I'd also say thinking about bonds, which have historically, again, been a very good diversifier to your equity portfolio in recessionary or slower growth times. And I also say, look, if you're feeling lazy, there are a lot of 
iShares ETF tickers that give you a 60-40 or a 70-30 asset allocations that you can just put your money into, like an AOA, that we can just manage the money for you, depending on how aggressive or how moderate you feel. So, you know, you can have a multi-asset portfolio managed for you without having to worry too much about the minute-to-minute volatility that sometimes happens in the market. Can I just ask you a follow-up question on those Mm -hmm. asset allocation ETFs? We haven't really talked about these much on the show. And I want to make sure that our listeners understand how they work. We have talked about things like target date funds or balanced funds, the kind that you might get in a 401k. When you're talking about an asset allocation ETF, can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So what an asset allocation ETF will do is that it'll just be a single ticker solution. So for our listener who doesn't really want to be too in the weeds of buying one ticker like IBV that gives you access to the stock market or another ticker IJR that gives you sort of small caps or AGG, which gives you bonds. If you don't want to worry about that and what the weights of each of those might look like in your own portfolio, a one ticker solution, which will asset allocate to different parts of the market, stocks and bonds, in a predetermined, and that will depend on, of course, the ticker that you do choose based on your investment horizon and risk, that will allocate to that. So a 60-40, for example, or a 70-30, for example, but it'll all be under one ticker. So all you'd have to go is go in and buy that one ticker. And then what you're getting is that underlying allocation to different areas of the market. So if you're feeling particularly overwhelmed by choices, which I think happens to us when we're trying to find a movie on Netflix. If you're just overwhelmed by choice, sometimes maybe the simplest solution is at least the one that gets you involved. And then when you're feeling a little bit more free and have a little bit more mental space to invest, then you can think about specific solutions. Maybe there's a country you want to allocate to. Maybe there's a theme that you want to allocate to. And you can do that. But sometimes I just tell my friends, just take the first step you have some cash lying around, or if you're feeling nervous, just take the first step. And somehow the easiest step is often the way people tend to go there. And when you say one ticker, basically you're saying a single ETF, which is basically an index fund that trades as a stock. So instead of buying a fund that only gets priced once a day, you're buying a stock that gets priced throughout the day. Constantly throughout the day, right. You're you're just looking at that price. Exactly, Jane. You're buying that one single ETF, which trades like a stock. So you can literally go and look at it any given minute to see where you bought it, where it's trading now. And then, you know, obviously, if at some point you want to sell it, you have that liquidity to be able to do so. Fantastic. All right. This one's from Craig. We do get questions sometimes from guys. We know we have guys listening and we're happy to answer them. He says, hey, Jean, in the last year, I have put more thought into diversification. Historically, I had only invested in a few stocks that interested me, but all the recession talk this year inspired me to branch out. My friend told me that ETFs do the same thing as mutual funds, where they allow you to invest in a variety of different stocks. But then I've also heard that ETFs are index funds. I've done my research, but but I have to say, I still find all these categories very confusing. 
What I don't want to happen is to invest in an ETF, mutual fund, or index and think I'm diversified when I'm actually not at all diversified. Can you break categories of investments down for me and tell me which are best for giving me diversification without having to spend too much time agonizing over my choices? So Gargi, this goes to the heart of what we were just talking about. Absolutely. And what a great question. Thank you, Craig. So at the end of the day, we have to think about what diversification means to us. So what it means to me is if I liked a certain theme in the market. So for example, obviously this year has been the year of AI. And there are many ways to pay that AI theme. Instead of buying a single stock that gives you access to a semiconductor chip maker or a semiconductor industry, If you do a diversified ETF or if looking at an ETF that gives you diversified exposure to many different companies, not just one single stock, but many different companies that might be allocating towards that theme. Similarly, if we look at an industry fund, right now we're talking a lot about infrastructure, right? Given all of the fiscal stimulus that have come our way over the last two years, instead of picking one infrastructure stock that you think might do well, Why not play that infrastructure theme through a basket of stocks that give you exposure to utility providers, to infrastructure providers, beneficiaries? So that's one way of thinking about diversification. So instead of one stock, you are buying many stocks that therefore diversify your portfolio because you're dividing out your risk, not just to one company and their earnings and their growth, but many other companies. That's one way of thinking about diversification. Another way of thinking about diversification is actually at a much more broader level. So you might want to be invested in the U.S. markets with something like IVV that gives you access to S&P 500. Awesome. 500 companies, that's diversification indeed. But you might also want to think about diversifying away from U.S. large caps into U.S. small caps. That's another way you can diversify your portfolio or perhaps think about international exposure, right? Many U.S. investors often shy away from non-U.S. exposure because you think you don't need that. You have exposure in the U.S. and that's enough. But what about periods where other countries outperform the U.S.? So again, diversifying into emerging markets or developed markets that are not the U.S. is another way of thinking about diversification. And then lastly, I'll say you should always think about diversification in terms of stocks and bonds and commodities and other asset classes. That's another way of thinking about diversification. So have some stocks, have some bonds, have other commodities. Again, that will depend, of course, on your risk taking and your investment preferences and horizon. But those are the ways in which we think about diversification. I'll also add that when you are buying an ETF, when you're buying an iShares ETF, you are getting diversification on those levels because we are, you know, depending on whether you're buying a country ETF or an industry ETF or a thematic ETF or just the IVV, which is the S&P 500, you're getting a basket of companies or basket of bonds if you're buying AGG. I hope that makes sense. I think it makes total sense. I wanted to just come back to one other point in his question, which is sort of the difference between ETFs and mutual funds. The wrap-up. Yeah, that's a great question. And we talked a little bit about how they trade and how they're priced, but the other big difference is taxation. Can you explain why the tax treatment may be different? Yeah, so... To your point, you should think about ETFs or mutual funds as 
vehicles that give you access to markets. So it's not as if, depending on the mutual fund, depending on the ETF, you can get access to different types of markets. It's just wrappers. ETF is just a wrapper. The advantage of ETFs, though, I think, are the liquidity. So the ability, you know, we were talking about this just earlier, the ability to see where that trades as if you're buying a single stock. You can see where it trades on an exchange constantly and not just at the end of the day when you have to wait to see the price of the, of the fund. So that's number one. To your point, Jean, there's also a benefit of the tax structure, which without getting too much into the details, depending on the type of investor you are, you can have tax benefits by using ETFs because of the way ETFs are treated when you are creating or redeeming from your portfolio. So you might have a more favorable tax treatment by trading ETFs as opposed to other vehicle types. And then the last thing I would say is just the access. What I've often found is many investors steer away from mutual funds because they think that they need a lot of money to enter into those transactions. And listen, because of the way in which you can trade ETFs now, you can trade it for $100, less than that with fractional available. So the access, the liquidity, and the tax efficiency are some of the many advantages of using ETFs in your portfolio. Yeah, I mean, for anybody who's ever held a mutual fund where you get hit with capital gains because that mutual fund has bought and sold shares of stock or other investments over the course of a year, you can get hit with a tax bill. Generally, not always, but generally with an ETF, you get to decide when to sell. They don't turn over their portfolios as frequently. And so those instances are a little bit less likely. And so that's just one of the nuances important to understand as we parse these different kinds of wrappers, as Gargi calls them. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. You ready for another one? Sure. This one comes from Jean. Not me, but she writes, hi, Jean, we have the same name, which is why I originally started following you. Did your parents ever call you Jellybean? Actually, my parents did call me Jellybean, not frequently, thankfully, but once in a while. She says, that's not my main question, though. My main question is about international stocks or ETFs. If we have a recession in the U.S., should I look to invest internationally? I don't think there are investments that do better when our country is in a recession, but maybe there are some that aren't as impacted. I would love to learn more about investing internationally via stocks or ETFs that I can access via my brokerage account. Yeah. Absolutely. So I do think that international investments should probably always be a part of a diversified portfolio, whether or not the U.S. is going into recession. The reason I say that is because different countries, both developed and emerging and frontier, will be in different cycles of growth and inflation. So depending on where different emerging market countries or the different developed market countries are in their cycle, they can have better performance versus the U.S. And again, the U.S. also having different performance based on whether you're in higher quality companies or smaller caps, mid caps, large caps, etc. So I would say you're always supposed to have some allocation towards non-U.S. markets 
in an effort to have a more diversified portfolio. Now, what does more diversified portfolio mean? It means a portfolio that's getting its returns from many, many different sources. And what's a better way to get a diversified return from other sources than other countries? Now, to your question more specifically, if the U.S. does go into a recession, now we all know that the U.S. is one of the is the largest, you know, country that is contributing to GDP. If the U.S. goes into a recession, when the U.S. sneezes, does the global economy catch a cold? That's one of those sayings we often hear. Is it possible that some other countries remain more resilient? Absolutely. For example, the emerging markets can remain more resilient, and we actually do tend to favor emerging market equities with a ticker such as IEMG in your portfolio. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you take everything that you own and put it all into emerging markets. It's just another way of diversifying. Have your core allocation, your main allocation in the U.S., if that's where you're based, and then have a sliver of your portfolio into emerging markets, which we think currently, from a valuations perspective, looks really interesting. And more importantly, in the emerging markets, central banks are actually beginning to cut rates, which we think will be quite beneficial for their performance going forward. So those are some of the points I'll make about diversification. Lastly, I will say, when you think, of, when you think about international, it's not one bucket. Think about developed market international. Think about emerging market international. Think about developed market, which is ex-US. So looking at the other large developed markets, Japan is a really interesting economy right now and has had a very strong growth trajectory, which is very different, for example, than UK. So even within developed markets, we can have many divergent economic paths. So being a little bit thoughtful about that, I think, makes sense. And obviously, we have a lot of research on this that you can follow us on at iShares.com. Fantastic. We're going to do one more. And this one comes from Anne. She says, hey, Jean, what the heck is going on with the economy? I've been bracing for a recession this year and took some of the risk out of my portfolio because of it. Now it sounds like we won't experience one in 2023, which is great. Should I believe it and bump up my percentage of stocks again? I'm 33 years old and currently have it at 60-40 stocks to bonds. I'd rather be at 70-30. If a recession does end up happening, is 60-40 still too risky? And what advice would you have for my parents who are about to retire? Thanks so much. Love the show. Thank you so much for writing, Anne. Really good question. Yeah, great question. So seeing as though you are 33, hopefully you are saving up for a time that you're looking forward to retiring, much like your parents are. Congratulations to them. And I would say that, you know, in an economy, in the rest of your investing career, you'll come across many ups and downs, many periods of expansion and contraction in the economy. And absolutely, tweaking your portfolio sometimes to other areas, the safer areas of the market does make sense. But I think the example that you just laid out in terms of how you took out money in the beginning of the year is a perfect example why we always say remaining invested should be your North Star. Always remaining invested in the markets, especially if you're not about to hit retirement anytime soon. So you don't mind having a little bit of a volatile patch because you know that we will get through that in the next couple of quarters, couple of years. And especially this year, more specifically to your question, it's really hard to see 
the economy going into contractionary territory for the remainder of 2023. Of course, that's easy to say because we're sitting in August. But I do think that um, it's hard to see us going into a recession this year because the consumption that 70% of the of the U.S. economy has remained so strong. The consumer has remained so strong so far. So remain invested. If you are more nervous, definitely move towards high quality parts of the equity markets, which are more likely to be resilient in a recessionary time. And then I'd say, you know, given how high treasury bonds yield right now, looking at owning some bonds in your portfolio isn't actually a bad idea if you are much more convicted than I am on us going into a recession. As for your parents, as I said, congratulations to them. And I do think that for them, because they are nearer to retirement, because they want that capital preservation, they want their money to be there for them. They don't want to suddenly lose it because there was a volatile 2024. In that world, I think it's awesome that they actually have 5% yields in the safest security with the U.S. Treasury bills yielding that. So I would say tilt their portfolio more towards fixed income, especially today. I feel so much more comfortable saying this today when Treasury yields are where they are versus in 2020, perhaps. Yeah. So tilt their portfolio much more towards bonds, towards high quality bonds that will earn them five or six percent interest rates if they were, you know, to go out the risk spectrum a little bit and buy some investment grade corporate credit. Yeah. And your parents, I think, are much closer to my age and my husband's age. I'm I'm 58. My husband's in his 60s. And our mix is definitely closer to 55, 45 at this point. And so I, I think they'd be more comfortable around there, maybe even a little bit more conservative, depending on how long they have until they are ready to retire. For me, it's going to be some time still. So I am definitely staying invested. Gargi, thank you for all the great advice. Thank you so much for all the great questions. I know our listeners, they always come through. If you've got any other money-related questions, we would love to hear from you. Please send them to us by emailing us at mailbag at hermoney.com. We're going to take one more quick break. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobir. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. And we are back. I want to say one final thank you to Gargi for sharing her incredible insight and some very interesting iShares data with our community. Thank you so much, Gargi. Thank you so much, Jane, for having me. It was such a pleasure. 
If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We would also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.